Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Doing well in here? All right, everybody doing well online? Uh, okay, all right, you're saying, so you're going to assume that. Great to have you here. So in a recent study... Christians were asked the question, compared to two years ago, okay, if you think back to when COVID started a couple years ago, back in 2020, compared to two years ago, would you say that spiritually you were stronger, weaker, or about the same? Well, a majority of the individuals who responded said that honestly, they hadn't really progressed much spiritually. They were kind of spiritually stagnant. And rather than addressing the whys behind that, I'd rather talk about the what today. Like, what do we need to do about that? And I would submit to you that in order to move off the mark, we need a little bit of a spiritual jump start, that we're not going to ease into spiritual growth. There's an old saying that goes like this, people don't grow into commitments, they grow by making commitments. And I got to thinking about this, I think that's why Jesus often pressed people right up front with radical commitments, things like take up your cross, leave your family, that kind of stuff. So if you've been spiritually stagnant for a while, you may need a little jump start. And today's passage is going to give us three steps to do just that. But before we begin with that, I want to give you a little retro illustration up front here. Back in the days when you couldn't count on public facilities to have indoor plumbing, there was an English woman who was planning a trip to Germany. And she was registered to stay in a small Zimmer, a guest house that was owned by the schoolmaster and his wife. And the traveler was concerned, though, about whether or not this guest house had a WC, which if you know English, you know in England, that's a term for a bathroom. stands for a water closet. Well, the schoolmaster receives this note from this lady inquiring as to the location of the WC. And he doesn't speak very fluent English, and so he goes to the local priest and says, well, you know, what do you think this means? And together they sit down and contemplate the meanings of WC, and they finally determine, ah, we got it. She wants to know if there is a wayside chapel nearby. (laughs) Yep, that's got to be it. She's just concerned, is there a wayside chapel somewhere near the home? And so the schoolmaster writes the following reply to this lady. Dear madam, I take great pleasure in informing you that the WC is situated nine miles from the house. It's in the center of a beautiful grove of pine trees surrounded by lovely grounds. It's capable of holding 229 people and is open on Sundays and Thursdays only. As as there are a great number of people expected during the summer months, I suggest you come early, although usually there's plenty of standing room. This is an unfortunate situation, especially if you're in the habit of going regularly says, I would especially recommend your ladyship to go on Thursdays when there's an organ accompaniment. (laughs) The acoustics are excellent, and even the most delicate sounds can be heard everywhere. (laughs) says, my wife has been ill, and so she hasn't been able to go recently. It's been almost a year since she last went, which naturally pains her very much. (laughs) But I shall be delighted to reserve the best seat for you, where you shall be seen by all. 
In fact, I look forward to escorting you there myself. With kindest regards, the schoolmaster. Now, you can see that understanding the language and customs of a particular culture can be very, very important at times. And as we dive into our story today, we're going to need to dig into the culture of the first century Jewish times in order to fully grasp the depths of this story. So we're in the midst of this series called Curveball. We're talking about just surprising encounters that people have with Jesus because Jesus rarely acted the way people expected. And today's story is no exception. Okay, this is Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. And I'll read this in its entirety here. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. All right, let me ask you an occupational question. I want you to think back to when you were a child growing up and you had dreams of what you might do vocationally. And let's do a little show of hands thing here. Okay, how many of you wanted to be a fireman, a policeman, a doctor, or somebody in uniform? You had dreams along those lines. Let me see your hands. Can we raise them up really high so everybody can see them? Okay. How many of you wanted to do, like, acting, be an artist, songwriter, writer of some sort, some artsy thing? Raise your hands. Okay, how many of you, when you were children, remember saying, I want to grow up to be a tax collector? <laughs> Anybody? Okay. See... Tax collectors have never been very popular, but if you understand the culture of Israel at this time, you'll see why they were especially despised. You know, in Israel, certain vocations were actually labeled by the religious leaders as despised trades. There were lists of these, and the people were warned not to go into these occupations. Now, certain occupations made the list just because they involved a task that was repugnant, something that was kind of disgusting. And that would include things like tanners of dead skins, dung collectors. Yes, dung collecting was an actual career choice back in the first century. In fact, the popular song of the day was, Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be dung collectors, okay? <laughs> For all you Willie fans. <laughs> Seriously, though, if a woman had a husband who was a dung collector, she could legally file for divorce and receive a sum of money. In fact, one rabbi wrote that that was true even if she married him knowing he was going into that profession. Like, she could legally say, I thought I could handle it, but nope, I can't even, okay? And she could file for divorce. Now, other occupations, other professions, they made the list because they involved something immoral, like people who gambled with dice, people involved in usury because they exploited the poor. Uh, pigeon trainers made the list, and not because they had anything against pigeons, but because pigeon racing was a form of gambling back then. And then if you look at these lists, near the absolute bottom was a tax collector. 
See, tax collectors were deeply despised in Jesus' day. And you have to understand, at this point in time, Israel was not free. Okay, they were occupied by a foreign power, Rome. And Rome was very interested in how much money they could wring out of the countries they ruled over. You know, they had the Roman roads, they had an army to support, all these different things. And they found that they could collect the taxes easier if they had the natives do it for them. And so they would hire the Israelites to go out and collect the taxes. And here's how it worked. They would allow the Jews to bid on the right to be a tax collector for a particular region. And then whoever bid the highest, like whoever said, you know what, I think I can get you $5 million for the greater Georgetown area, okay, that person would get the job. And then he would go out and collect as much in taxes as he possibly could get away with. Okay? And, and that could often be a whole lot of money. And so basically, after that, he had to pay Rome whatever he had bid, but anything he collected over that amount, he got to keep. So the whole system set up so that tax collectors are highly motivated to get every single penny they can get. And so generally speaking, tax collectors were viewed as traitors, Jews who had sold out their brothers and sisters to Rome for a profit. And it was also assumed that every tax collector was guilty of massive dishonesty. There was a saying in the first century, it went like this, for tax collectors, repentance is hard. For tax collectors, repentance is hard. They had cheated so many people that if a tax collector wanted to repent, he wanted to go back and make things right, he wouldn't even know where to start. Like the list of people that he had cheated would be so, so long. If you think in terms of the most despised categories in our culture today, like a drug dealer, a mafia hitman, a terrorist, Okay, that's the category the tax collectors fit into. So an obvious question is this. What would make Zacchaeus willing to enter a profession that would bring so much hatred, so much hostility, so much isolation to him? Well, I have an idea. It's an educated guess. Luke drops a little clue in this text. When you read through the story, there is one physical characteristic about Zacchaeus that is prominent enough that Luke brings it to light. If you grew up in Sunday school as a child, you already know the answer. Zacchaeus was a, say it with me, wee little man. And a wee little man was he, yeah. He was the runt of the litter, okay? And my guess is maybe Zacchaeus grew up with a wee bit of a complex. Like the other Jewish boys may have picked on him a wee bit too much, and he was a wee bit ticked off, right? And maybe Zacchaeus decided, okay, I'll show everybody. Like, I'll become a big man the only way I know how. Maybe he decided, I'll get back to those people who picked on me. And so he chose to give his life for money and power. But in any event, he became a tax collector, not just any ordinary tax collector, okay? He was good at it. Luke tells us he was a chief tax collector. Well, that meant he had other tax collectors working under him, and he would be over a wide geographical area. So he was rich. And it's pretty fair to assume he was thoroughly corrupt and dishonest. He had given up on society, given up on friendships, given up on integrity. He was basically betting everything that affluence and wealth and possession would bring meaning, would bring fulfillment to his life. But it wasn't. It wasn't working. There was a hole in his heart that money and power couldn't fill. And so one day he hears that Jesus is coming his way. And there's something about Jesus that intrigues Zacchaeus. I bet he probably heard that one of Jesus' disciples, Matthew, also known as Levi, was a former tax collector himself. 
And so he wants to see this radical rabbi who would hang out with people like him. But there's a crowd, right? And if you're a tax collector, do you want to be around a huge crowd of Jews? No. You're not very popular. People are not likely to make way for you so you can see. There's likely going to be a fair amount of pushing and shoving and cursing for any tax collector who would even dare to show up, be foolish enough to do that. But you know what? He didn't let that deter him, did he? He was determined. And I would say that's the first important lesson for us here in this text. If you want to move forward in your walk with Jesus, if you want to go beyond spiritual stagnation, you've got to refuse to be distracted by the crowd. Refuse to be distracted by the crowd. Zacchaeus doesn't just give up and go home. Now, what does he do? He runs ahead and he climbs up a tree so he can see over the crowd. He works around the crowd. So let me ask you, what is the crowd in your life? Think about this. What crowds out Jesus in your life and keeps you from doing life with him, keeps you from moving forward spiritually? What is it? I think a lot of times when we hear that word crowd, we immediately think of people, friends, family members, you know, who are holding us back in our walk with God. But, you know, a crowd is not necessarily just people. The crowd can be anything that distracts you from God, anything that crowds out Jesus in your life. It could be a habit in your life. It could be your job. It could be TikTok, Facebook, whatever. It could be a hobby. Analyze your life and ask the question, what crowds out Jesus in my life? And then once you've figured out what that is, like Zacchaeus, find the workaround, right? Don't just walk away. Let's go back to verse 4. It says, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, I got to say, that took some effort and ingenuity. Those guys basically wore glorified bathrobes back then. Have you ever tried to climb a tree in a robe? (laughs) Not exactly the best climbing attire, okay? But he doesn't let that stop him. Somehow he figures out a way. And I'm guessing he probably climbs that tree for another reason. He wants to hide, right? He wants to see Jesus, but he doesn't want Jesus to see him. Well, things get real interesting in verse 5. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. Now, picture this scene for just a minute here. You got hundreds of people around Jesus, and, and they're all looking up at this tree and asking each other, you know, what's he looking at? I don't know, it must be some kid up there or something. And then Jesus says, Zacchaeus. And I bet that one word just set off a ripple effect through the crowd because he was a prominent man. Now, imagine how Zacchaeus is feeling in that moment, right? He thinks he's hiding up in this tree. Nobody's going to notice him, right? He can just watch from a safe distance. And now all of a sudden, you've got Jesus and everybody else just staring up at you, sitting in this tree. And he probably tries to act casual, like, hey, Jesus, want to come on up and grab a branch? We can chat up here. And the crowd's probably thinking, Oh, man, Jesus is going to let Zacchaeus have it. This is going to be good. Like, finally, a tax collector is going to get what's coming to him. But Jesus throws a curveball, right? He surprises everybody. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Isn't that interesting? I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus, he comes out of that tree He comes out of hiding. He doesn't know it yet, but he's about to face the truth that his whole life has been built on greed and dishonesty, that he has sinned against God, that he has sinned against his people. But you need to hear this. He came out of hiding. 
And that's the second step. If you want to escape spiritual stagnation that I think plagues so many Christians in our culture today, you've got to come out of hiding and face the truth about yourself. First, you have to see the futility of hiding, of trying to evade detection. And I think if we're honest, you know, every one of us has hidden areas in our lives that we keep hidden, and they're actually stopping us from growing in our walk with the Lord. And you've got to do some effort. You've got to figure out what they are because I would say what's behind the hiding is guilt and what's behind the guilt is sin that is blocking you from experiencing the best life possible, from experiencing life with God. And really, hiding is an exercise in futility anyway because God knows, right? I mean, you may be able to fool other people. You may even fool yourself, but you never fool God. To God, our hiding probably looks about as goofy as Zacchaeus sitting up in that tree. So we come out of hiding, and we face the truth. Let me give you three verses here. John 8, 32 says, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And finally, James 5, 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be Face the truth. Confess it to God. You know that word confess? All that means is to agree with God that it was wrong. So you confess to God. And then sometimes when it's appropriate, you may confess to another person. You may have to come clean to another individual. Come out of hiding. Face the truth, even if it hurts. You know, I would say this. One of the most consistent things that I've learned in 30-plus years as a pastor is that people find tremendous freedom. They find tremendous healing when they finally reveal a secret about themselves to another human being, and that other human being gives them grace. So imagine for just a moment right now that instead of Zacchaeus up in that tree, it's you. Right? If Jesus were to come along right now, what would he want to talk to you about this morning? Like what in your life are you most likely to keep hidden? What are you most likely to hide? Will you admit it? Because I'm telling you, I think it's these little hidden things that keep us stuck spiritually. So first, you have to face the truth yourself. Second, you know, you, you may have to confess it to another person, but for sure, you've got to bring it before Jesus. And are you ready for some good news? When you bring the truth out to Jesus, when you lay it on the line with God, when you come out of hiding, you face the truth, you'll be surprised. Surprised by God's grace. Because Jesus doesn't want you to confess it so he can hold it against you. He wants you to confess it so that you'll get freed up, right? The truth will set you free. He wants you to confess it so that he can forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness so that you can let it go and be free. I mean, Zacchaeus is up in that tree, and he is carrying this burden. He's hiding. And notice Jesus' approach here. I think if Jesus was any ordinary religious leader, he would have said something along the lines of, Zacchaeus, you know, if you clean up your life and you change professions and you pay back what you owe, then I'll come over to your house. Like, I can't come over now. That would look like I'm condoning you. I can't afford the criticism to my ministry. But if you'll clean up your life, then I'll come over. Now, many churches operate that way. Clean up your life and then come to our church. But Jesus doesn't say that. Now, he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Like, I'm accepting you right here right where you're at, right in the midst of your muck and mire. Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
See, Jesus always answers with grace. Whatever your secret is, you can trust him with that. Now, the crowd responded pretty much like you would expect in verse 7. It says, all the people, all the people, this is the crowd, all the people saw this and began to mutter. That word means to grumble. All the people saw this and began to grumble. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So you may not be able to count on grace from other people, but you can always count on grace from Jesus. And unlike cold, harsh, legalistic regulations, I would tell you this, grace actually has the power to change a life. Take a look at the remarkable thing that happens next. The Bible says, Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Gratefully and joyfully, Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus into his home. And then he's faced with a choice. And that'll always happen when Jesus is in the house. Like, is he going to own up to the crud in his life? Or is he going to go back and cling to the old lies that he's believed? Well, Zacchaeus squarely faces the truth. He pushes back the crowd. He comes out of hiding. And he faces the truth that his life is dishonoring to God. And that is now intolerable to him. He doesn't want anything remaining in his life that would threaten his intimacy with Jesus. And so Zacchaeus takes the third step toward growing spiritually. He puts his money where his mouth is. And that's our third step. If we want to move past spiritual stagnation, I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to make some kind of radical sacrifice, some kind of commitment. Look at verse 8. It says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, that is extraordinary. Zacchaeus is beginning to understand this whole concept of grace. He says, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll pay him back four times as much. You know, he didn't have to do that. If he was playing it by the book, the Old Testament law, the Old Testament law said you paid back whatever you cheated him out of. You paid back what you owed plus an additional 20%. Take a look at this. Numbers 5, 6 to 7 says, When a man or woman wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord, that person is guilty and must confess the sin he has committed. He must make full restitution for his wrong, add one-fifth to it, and give it all to the person he's wronged. So the law says if you cheat somebody, you pay him back what you cheated plus 20%. But Zacchaeus loves this grace concept so much that he goes beyond that. He says, you know what, I'll pay him back what I owe him times four. And then he does another astounding thing in this passage. He says, in addition to making things right with all these people I've wronged, I'm going to go beyond that. I'm going to actually replace my old habit of greed with a new behavior of extravagant generosity. From now on, I'm giving half of all my possessions to the poor. Boy, that is life change. And you can just see Jesus smiling as Zacchaeus is talking here. So in verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now, did you catch that word today in this verse? Today salvation has come to this house. Hear me on this. Zacchaeus hasn't done anything. He hasn't done anything. It's not by works. Jesus knew his heart. So in that moment, he put his trust, he put his faith 
his belief in Jesus. And Jesus knows that. And so Jesus says, today, people, just so you know, salvation has come. Now Zacchaeus is a true son of God, a true son of Abraham, a true child of the living God. And finally, Jesus clarifies his mission in case anybody hadn't gotten it yet. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. You know, before he met Jesus, Zacchaeus, he was filled with guilt. He was hiding. He was as lost as you can be. But he was only one sincere confession away from intimacy with God. And I would say the same is true for us as well. Not just for those who, like Zacchaeus, want to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus for the first time by faith, but for Christians as well. Because as believers, we're only going to move forward if we have some kind of spiritual jumpstart. That we're not going to grow into commitments. We grow by making a commitment, by putting a stake in the ground and saying, okay, I'm ready to move forward. You know, there's an old story about a man who calls a home, and a little boy answers the phone with a whisper. He says, hello? The man says, can, can I speak to your mommy, please? The little guy says, no, she's busy. So the man says, well, can I speak to your daddy then? He says, no, he's busy too. The guy's a little curious at this point. He says, well, is there anybody else at home? The little guy whispers, yeah, the police are here. Now the man's a little concerned. He's like, well, can, 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 let, let me speak to the police officer. The little guy says, oh, sorry, she's busy too. He's like, well, is there anybody else in the house? The little guy whispers, yeah, the firemen are here. <laughs> now at this point, the guy's getting a little panicky. He's like, let, let, let me speak to, to one of the firemen. The little guy says, oh, they're busy too. And so now the guy is completely frustrated. And he yells at his voice, young man. What are they all busy doing? Little guy whispers, they're looking for me. <laughs> People, sin in our lives and the guilt that follows that make us all want to hide from the truth. And maybe, just maybe, that's what's got you in a rut this morning spiritually. I don't know for sure, but I want you to think about this. What crowds Jesus out of your life right now? Come out of hiding, face the truth, and make a decision today to make some kind of a radical step, some kind of sacrifice that will propel you forward spiritually, give you a spiritual jump start. If you're like most Christians in our culture today, COVID kind of threw you a curveball, and you haven't entirely just gotten out of the rut. You haven't really gotten back into the groove. And when you think back, you go, well, you know what? Man, I used to have a quiet time every morning. I used to pray and read my Bible every day. I haven't been doing that. Or I used to be a part of a small group, or, or I used to serve, whatever it is. But you've been coasting for the last couple of years. Christians, let me encourage you, come down out of that tree and get back in the game spiritually. Let's pray. Lord, this is a great message, not just for someone like Zacchaeus who needs to come to faith and understand who you are, but for us as Christians as well. That if we're going to take steps forward in our relationship with you, we're going to have to figure out what is crowding you out of our lives. And over the last couple of years, we, we have many, many things, I'm sure. I can think of so many in my own life 
things that we've gotten busy with that have just crowded out our commitment to you, to your mission, to spiritually growing and ministering to others. God, would you help us to, to come out of hiding, face the truth about ourselves, whatever that is, and every one of us in here, none of us are perfect. We all have some sin somewhere that is blocking us from growing deeper in our walk with you. I pray that we would face that. And God, I pray that we would make some kind of a commitment, some kind of a radical sacrifice that would jumpstart our spiritual walk. So God, as we contemplate this as brothers and sisters in Christ, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us. We can come down out of that tree and we could just be as excited and as passionate about following you as Zacchaeus was. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody, you guys go and have a wonderful week in the Lord.